Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana, and joining me on the phone today, or at least for part of today, is Simone Malaz. Are you there, Simone? Yeah, I'm here, Jacques. Hey, how are you? You miss me? (laughs) (laughs) I do. I guess I'll see you soon. You're stuck in a little bit of traffic. It's uh, it's pretty hot out there. It's nice and cool in this uh, air-conditioned studio. Yeah, well, I hope to be there soon, but I'll be listening for this first part, and we'll certainly chime in. All right. Well, as a reminder, if this is your first um, time tuning in to WGSO 990 AM to listen to Delta Dispatches, you can always catch old episodes and um, review all of our previous episodes at deltadispatches.org. We are also in the midst of um, scoping, and we've discussed scoping on a prior episode, but basically the Army Corps of Engineers is... Um, taking public comment on a key restoration project in Plaquemines Parish, the Mid-Barataria Sediment Diversion. And that um, scoping comment period is open until September 5th. So you can go online at mississippiriverdelta.org slash take action and, you know, give comments to the Army Corps of Engineers about why this uh, project is crucial and things that you want to want them to consider as part of the environmental impact statement. Um, So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about a really important topic, one that we've touched on in the past, um, and that is financing for coastal restoration here in Louisiana. Um, So we've talked about the funding sources and, you know, the fact that Louisiana does have significant funding to get a lot of large-scale restoration done, but there are also challenges that come with that. So we're going to be talking to um, Charles Sutcliffe with the Governor's Office of Coastal Activities, as well as Simone, who um, Restore Retreat is partnering with the PRA on this coastal financing uh, initiative that we're going to hear a little bit more about from both Simone and, and Charles later in the show. But for now, it's been a really, really busy week. Um, I know you've been traveling all over the place, Simone. So I know you were in Morgan City yesterday for the uh, monthly CPRA board meeting. How did that go? It was good. It was good. Morgan City was a really nice host, and it's always fun when they do their summer road show. Um, They take their meetings on the road in the summer, and they go to different parishes, and it's a really nice way to highlight some of the local activities going on. So certainly that's how they kicked off. They talked about um, they had a really great explanation by the CPRA uh, regional kind of coordinator to talk about the different restoration projects happening in that area uh, we also had an update from the levy districts about what was going on. We had an update on Rose O'Kane, which we've, of course, talked about on our show. Brady Cuvion was there, again, another previous Delta Dispatches guest to talk about his, his land loss survey. So it was a really great day all around. Talked about NFIP. Oh, also very important, recognized Bryn Haas, uh, another previous guest of Delta Dispatches, and recognized uh, Bryn's work and on the passage of the 2017 master plan. So it was a nice trip to Morgan City. Right. And I mean, a packed agenda and definitely a very well-deserved award and recognition to Bryn Haas for all of his work and getting the 2017 master plan, you know, pulled together and then through passage, unanimous passage in the state legislature. I know they highlighted a lot of progress that's being made in projects in Southwest and Central Louisiana, kind of in your neck of the woods. Um, So were there any kind of exciting updates on some of the projects happening there? Yeah, we work on a, uh, on a particular project called Increase Atchafalaya, and that's really just to, tra- to, to tap into the fresh water of the Atchafalaya and bring it into parts of Terrebonne that's most needed. But they have actually a lot of, a lot of cool things going on in southwest Louisiana. Uh, the CPRA started something um, a couple of weeks ago, and, and um, they started this really great recap. Um, they had a recap after yesterday's meeting and sent it out uh, as an e-blast. Um, and then at the end of the week, they also do a recap of, of kind of the news that's happening. 
And so they do, um, they do a really great service there. And so we would encourage folks to go to CPRA and to sign up and they can receive those notices. They receive the notice about the meeting, then they receive the agenda, and then they um, can receive, you know, notices after the meeting and then that weekly recap along with lots of other great stuff. So I know that you enjoy having that resource too. Yeah, it's been it's been very helpful, you know, to just hear what's in the news from week to week. And then, of course, like you mentioned, you get um, all of those announcements for the different meetings that are happening. Um, and a lot of times they happen around the state. So sometimes you may be able to go to a meeting in your in your area. So what is the website, Simone, for CPRA where people can go and, and sign up for their newsletter? Sure, it's really easy. It's coastal.la.gov. Um, you'll also see there's some really other great resources. Again, things that we've talked about on the show, like their um, flood risk and resiliency viewer and interactive project map. Lots of other other great resources there too, Jacques. Right. Well, you know, going back to your busy week, um, and today was no less busy, <laughs> know, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that too. Well, yeah, my week hasn't been as exciting as yours. It's kind of been a boring week, but um. You were um, at a meeting that included Congressman Garrett Graves um, with the South Central Industrial Association sure. meeting. Um, and I know that the congressman gave some important updates, particularly about GoMesa, which we've talked about a lot on the show. So um, any any exciting news out of that meeting? Yeah, so um, so Garrett Graves is the guest speaker, as you mentioned, at the monthly meeting. The South Central Industrial Association is, is this uh, really great uh, industry group um, located, obviously, in South Central Louisiana. But uh, they have a really long-standing history in our area. They have a really dynamic executive director that I'm sad to see is going to retire this year, Jane Arnett. Um, but uh, Garrett was the guest speaker. Um, he gave his usual uh, dynamic speech, but he did, he touched on GoMesa and mentioned um, that it's going to be included in the budget as it moves forward through the process. And, and as we know, following bills, it takes a, it takes a lot to get um, passage on some of these things, but it's definitely going to be included in the start. So that's a really great first move. That's great. And, you know, that's the, what we've hit on from the beginning. You know, as soon as we heard that GoMesa was um, threatened is that our congressional delegation has been in lockstep about the importance of GoMesa and protecting it. So um, that that's great to hear. Um, in terms of, you know, other relevant topics in the news, I mean, it's interesting, Simone, we're really hitting on some good topics in our show because you're seeing them come back up in, in meetings and in the news. But there was some uh, news about Nutria and, and the, the Coastwide Nutria Control Program. Um, they are, you know, paying registered participants $5 per Nutria, um, harvested November 20th through March 31st each year. Um, the registration is free, and you can go online to Nutria.com to, to register if you want to, you know, hunt and trap um, and really help control the population of this um, invasive species that actually does a lot of damage to our coastal wetlands. And we, we've had folks from Quipper on to talk about that and talk about their program. Um, just a quick fact, I mean, in the 2015-2016 season, um, about 350,000 nutrient tails were collected. Um, you know, in Terrebonne alone, over 90,000. Um, and then, you know, the next parishes were St. Martin, um, and Plaquemines at kind of 50,000 and 46,000. So it's a it's a really important program. If you're interested, you can, again, go to Nutria.com um, as well as, um, yeah, that's probably the best website for you to go to and, and learn more about the program and learn how you can get registered. 
Yeah, they've done a really great job in outreach this year and, and kind of tying the fact of, you know, that you can help with this issue. Sometimes we struggle with trying to connect how people can help with our issue. And so they've done a really, really great job um, letting people know about how they can participate in the program this year. Awesome. And then also some news um, out of, uh, you know, Terrebonne, one of the important um, barrier islands, East Timbalier, um, is moving forward. And there was an article about that, um, I believe, in the uh, Homa Courier. Um, you know, they received um, funding and, um, you know, the, the project is a barrier island um, that would help restore using nine million cubic yards of sand shoal from the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and so that that is another um, good sign to show that, you know, work is happening. Progress is being made. We had um, Mark, um, Mark Sickles of Weeks Marine on recently to talk about the investments they're making um, and, and you're seeing this restoration happen across the coast. So good news for, for your folks um, in, in uh, Terrebonne and Lafourche with East Timbalier. Is that right, Simone? Yeah, East Timbalier is a really great project. It's been around for a really long time. And the best thing about East Timbalier is that while it's technically located in Lafourche Parish, it definitely has restoration benefits for Terrebonne Parish. And and we're getting good at, at restoring those barrier islands, but that's an important one for the protection of, of Lafourche and Terrebonne. Um, that's going to be paid for with uh, National Fish and Wildlife Foundation funds uh, as part of those coastal settlements. And so that's nice to see that being put to work. All right. Well, you were about to head into a break. Um, hopefully when we come back, Simone will be with us in the studio and we'll also be joined by Charles Sutcliffe of, with the Governor's Office of Coastal um, Activities. We're going to be talking about coastal financing. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore or Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Welcome back, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. And just like that, Simone is in Ooh, the studio. Magic. You didn't forget about me, huh? I, I, I co-host this show, too. You yeah, remembered exactly. me, huh? <laughs> you're enjoying the air conditioning now. I know it's freezing in here. BJ likes to keep it cold. Huh? Yeah. Well, it's hot out there. So. That's right. 
So welcome back. We're going to um, talk to Charles Sutcliffe. I was with him earlier today. Uh, Charles, unfortunately, uh, gets to talk to me several times a day, especially as we work on this initiative together. Um, I My know, condolences, Charles. I know, no, I'm I know, just kidding. I You're know, a very lucky man. <laughs> I know they have caller ID at, uh, over there, so I know when he doesn't answer that he just doesn't want to talk to me. So <laughs> welcome to the show, Charles. Thank you very much. Glad well, to be here. Yeah, very glad to have you. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about you. You're the Director of Policy and Programs for Louisiana's Governor's Office of Coastal Activities. You've been there a while, six years. Um, and then before that, you worked over as a research associate for LSU Division of Economic Development. You actually have a, a little bit of history in education, right? Um, and you went to, um, you have a, a master's degree from New York University and went to LSU, right? Anything more we should know about you besides you have two cute little girls? Yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell. I've been back in town uh, after I went to New York. I went, went to Pittsburgh with my wife while she was in graduate school, but we've been back now for, for seven years, and I've been at the governor's office for six. So. You you missed the heat, the Louisiana heat that Jack and I were just oh, talking about. I did. I missed the heat, the crawfish, <laughs> the, uh, all, all those things. So we, we had a really busy day. So like I said, we, we spent some time earlier together. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But why don't you tell us about um, a little bit about your role at the governor's office of Coastal Lake activities. What do you do there? Sure. I'm uh, director of policy and programs, but uh, so that kind of means I do a little bit of everything. Um, I work a lot with the Governor's Advisory Commission, um, which is a pretty broad group of stakeholders, about 36 people on our board um, that just has, has an ongoing um, advisory role, as it, as it, as it sounds like, um, on all things coastal. Um, so I do a lot with that, and it's diversion subcommittee. Um, and I do, I've been doing a lot of, of economic-related things um, related to coastal program too as well as a little bit of restore and a little bit of the legislature and a little bit of other things that come up so as a as an avid listener which i'm sure you are um your boss chip klein is an avid listener i'm sure y'all sit around on mondays and listen to our show but um we talk a lot about obviously the master plan and projects but we also talk a lot about the funding and and just frankly how complicated it is for a very long time we asked people to speak out about gomisa um, and talk about, you know, how important that is to, to Louisiana's um, coastal program. But some folks just tuning in, can you help paint a big picture about how Louisiana will pay to restore its coast? Sure. So as, as your listeners probably know, we've got this $50 billion plan over 50 years. But every year we have to take, take, a, take a bite out of that. And we do that through our annual plans. And we're, we're, we propose to the legislature, uh, you know, we show them what our, we think our revenues are going to be and what we think our expenditures are going to be based on those revenues. And so the last several years we've had 600 to $800 million um, per year as our annual budget coming through these plans. And, and that number fluctuates because the different revenue streams that we tap into to build our projects fluctuate. Sometimes um, the, uh, a federal program will be kicking in or will be winding down or um, different things like that kind of determine how much it is. But we've been, we've been in that six to $800 million range the last couple of years. And Charles, uh, can you paint a little bit of like, a, like that big picture for looking forward, right? I mean, with the settlement, we do have kind of that steady source of funding over the next 15 years. Um, how much are we talking about maybe like in total for uh, for funding, so if you add up all the different components of the BP um, oil spill revenues and some of the existing revenue streams that we've been using over the past few years, the next ten to fifteen year period is going to uh, have about ten to eleven billion dollars um, just just for the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority. So that is um, that is something that that it's 
something we can we can count on. You know, these these revenues are are, are built into court documents and settlements and, and law, and, and so we think it's going to be a, um, a huge opportunity for us uh, in the next next decade, decade and a half, to get a lot of, of big projects done. So, in Charles, you and I both know it, it, that it does sound like a lot of money, and it is. It's certainly a great start to help us implement the master plan. There are some challenges to to some of the ways that the money's coming in, right? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, there there are there are challenges. I mean, all the different so CPRA has has always dealt with a wide variety of different grant programs or or, or federal programs or disaster response programs um, to, to 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 make it all work. So there's always kind of a juggling act that goes on, and so even now when we're having uh, a higher you know total number coming in, there's still different um, restrictions where some some revenue streams can only be used for barrier islands and diversions, for example. So other revenue streams are geared towards, um, you know, and, you know, restoration only, but with, with little flexibility with there, and then others are, are more flexible uh, overall. And so you have to kind of match what, what the revenue stream is requiring with the project priorities that we have and try to, you know, implement the master plan in the, in the best way um, as, as we go based on what the revenues will allow. Right. And, and let's talk on the flip side, Charles, um, about opportunities, you know, to maximize that funding. So I know the Water Institute um, and, you know, um, Coast Builders put out a short white paper last year about, you know, the cost saving op- cost saving opportunities that exist by getting restoration projects done more quickly by, you know, bonding. So what are some of those um, opportunities that exist to do more with the money that is coming in? Well, the first opportunity, I think, is just just the amount and the and the the relative certainty that exists for it. So we're able to do ambitious projects. You know, we're looking at projects that are 250, 350, 400 million, even a billion dollars if you're talking about some of these diversions. So so that's an opportunity in and of itself. And then uh, on top of that, yeah. So we we know we have money for for over time, but we, our coastal problem is you know is every day. And so we're we're looking at you know are there are there is there a good reason to to bond out money to get uh, to move some projects further up in line um, rather than waiting a little bit for it? And it's kind of going to depend a little bit on on our capacity to build them, but also on on um, just just kind of the financial markets and and if there's if there's too much of a financial cost in in moving those projects up or in, in doing those bonding tra- transactions, then then maybe maybe things are fine if we just keep keep paying as we go. So we're kind of looking at that that question right now. So, Charles, we, we really want to get into what we did earlier today and talk a, lo- a little bit about our partnership together. But Jacques and I like to keep it fun around here. Um, you may or may not know that that Jacques is currently in a, in a competition um, and he has to compete. Um, for. Can I talk about it yeah. or not? Yeah, because I already did. It's so. an audition. But yeah. <laughs> it's an audition. Uh, he's going to audition for the 610 Stompers. Um, oh, yeah. So um, if you had to audition for the 610 Stompers, what would your audition song be? Oh, this is not my style of music <laughs> at all. This is, um, uh, I might have to go something, uh, some Pine Leaf Boys or some, some something Cajun like that and then go awesome. with that. But, um, yeah, that's about as close like as that. So Local no, flavor. No Spice Girls. No. <laughs> no Tell no. me what you want. What you... <laughs> <laughs> not my thing. All right. Well, Charles, thank you for being on with us. If you hold on with us through the break, we will really want to talk about our meeting this morning and what our partnership looks like. Uh, so hold on. Uh, welcome to Delta Dispatches. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome back. You are listening to Delta Dispatches. This is Jacques Hebert. And I'm Simone Malas. And we are honored to have Charles Sutcliffe um, with the Governor's Office of Coastal Activities. We're talking about coastal financing today. Um, and How Charles, fun. Fun. And fun exciting. And, and very important. <laughs> money, money, money. <laughs> Can't get much done without it. So um, That's true. We were... Um, you know, talking, Charles was painting a big picture for us before the break about funding for restoration. And we've talked about that in previous shows. But we want to talk today about some news that came out recently um, about a partnership between CPRA. Is this where I switched to be the their interview? Yes, Simone. You switched <laughs> from host to uh, subject. So, um, so a partnership with CPRA and Restore Retreat. And you guys are looking at kind of coastal financing and trying to solicit um, ideas and, and input. So tell us a little bit about the partnership that you announced and what you're hoping to achieve with it. Yeah, I'll actually let Charles kick it off just to say maybe why why we think this is needed. Sure. So, you know, CPRA, we are um, science experts and engineering experts, but we're not finance experts necessarily. So we, we do have a lot of funding coming to us over the next 15 years, and we want to uh, reach out to uh, financial experts and people, you know, that do bonds and, and other creative things to see what, what they see when they look at our revenue streams and can we get get more projects done quicker or just more projects done in general if we implement some of these um, some of these different financial instruments. So we just wanted to reach out to that, that kind of different community than we're used to dealing with and uh, get some good advice so we can have a strategy going into this next 15-year period of, of, of good revenues. And from, from our standpoint at Restore Retreat, we, we certainly uh, knew how important the passage of the 2017 Master Plan was, but we, we certainly knew that that was also a turning point, that we were really moving from planning to large-scale implementation. And while we were uh, implementing projects um, on a project-by-project basis, we knew that this effort was really going to ramp up, and, and we needed to think about things on a more programmatic scale and, uh, you know, one of the projects we talk about a lot is Caminata, and that was a really significant, important project. We used uh, mostly National, National Fish and Wildlife Foundation funds, but we also cobbled together a few other funding sources. And while that turned out to be, you know, uh, almost a $200 million project, we really want to do five Caminatas a year or more. And so uh, we want to take that example and, and take it to the next level. And so, um, and I, I totally agree with Charles, we are firm believers in the sound science of, of the master plan and that uh, we, we know that. We know that well enough about what we want our priorities to be on the science side, but we have to figure out how to pay for it. And we thought it took almost a, a business type um outlook on something like that about how can we manage the cash charles mentioned that a lot of these projects have um tight ties to them um NIFWF itself can only pay for diversions and barrier islands and so we wanted to really get a good handle get a good handle on the funding streams that we have available right now uh talk about repayment strategies from those committed resources you know do, is that a grant we have to pay back and or they pay us back right so we have to have the cash up front or can it only be spent on certain projects. But then also, as Charles mentioned, we want to look at other things, other options that are out there that we don't know about, that other places are doing that's very cool. And we've gotten a really good read from the industry on some very neat things going on right now. Right. And I think, um, you know, we've mentioned this before, but there's no one singular funding source for our restoration efforts and protection efforts. And similarly, there are different timelines, different requirements, you know, for all of these funding sources. And so when you're you know, advancing a program as large as the Coastal Master Plan um, with the number of projects that are involved and the amount of funding that's on the table, 
um, you really need to kind of try to tie that together in a way that is going to allow you to get projects constructed as quickly as possible. So is that kind of the sort of thing yeah, that you're hoping exactly, to... exactly. Exactly. So uh, Janice Lansing uh, said it best today from, from CPRA, you know, that there's all these restrictions on the, on the money. What um, so Restore Act has so many eligible uses. NERDA, um, which is really about natural damage resource, only certain projects fall under that. But then as we go through that process, the grants themselves have certain requirements and restrictions. And so it's multi-layered. Charles, maybe you can maybe you can add to that. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> I got it right. I've been hanging around you guys long enough that I know it. <laughs> so, so what type of individuals or organizations are you really looking to connect with in this effort? And you know, how can they? How do you envision them getting involved? So, um, so Restore Retreat put out a statement of interests and qualifications, um, and we put that out at the very beginning of August, I think the third or the fourth. What we wanted to really do is find out who was interested and what were their backgrounds. We did the um, SIQ, which is a little different than a request for proposal that might be standard, but we really wanted to know people's team uh, and who they might assemble or who they might already have on their team and, and what their qualifications would be. Um, we had an informational session this morning uh, How'd we it had go? some great hosts at GNO Inc. We had over 40 people attend wow. and just very diverse backgrounds. I mean, anybody from a, a large, very large national accounting firm to a statewide accounting firms, um, think tanks. Um, people who fund infrastructure, attorneys who have clients that work in this space. Uh, so it was really exciting to see the read. How was the session today for you, Charles? Yeah, I was I was excited too to see um, just the, the the level of interest and the um, the, diff, the you know the variety of, of different groups um, that that came to the table. I thought um, uh, you know we didn't one of the reasons we did as Simone said this this request for interest first is just because we didn't really know how, how what the response was going to be because this project does kind of straddle two worlds. You know, you've got to understand the project side and the revenue streams that we have to work with, but also kind of the financial instruments that are that are going to be in play in between. So. We were, I, th- I was very encouraged. We were mostly excited no one asked us too tough oh, of a question. <laughs> there, was one, there was one super hard question. I think it was hard. I didn't really understand the words that were used, but there's only one of those. So Some, one somebody through. wrote it down. We hope to get back to him. And, and so Charles and I would just said our line was going to be, we'll take that into consideration. <laughs> That's a good line, yeah. <laughs> but we, they, like I said, they had lots of people in the room, but we also had, um, uh, we also did a webinar so people couldn't join in and participate. Um, we're going to post those presentations that we talked about online. Um, Chip Klein was a pre Previous guest and, and he talked about finances once we Charles actually delivered that presentation again today so people could get an understanding of what we already know uh, and then we had a really good conversation about about what we don't know and what some other folks might know so uh, and that that we need to know more about one of them is um, is something called pay for success uh, which is a different kind of delivery model um, I don't know Charles if you if you want to touch on that a little bit yeah, we can touch on that. So that you know, the state has been kind of rolling out um, new new ways to pay for projects or new ways to engage the private sector um, the last couple of years. So we've we've started a new thing to where um, we're starting a NERDA bank instead of it's kind of like a mitigation bank, but but geared more towards um, natural resource damages type type of things, not for the oil, uh, BP oil spill, but for other future smaller spills. Um, and so that was one thing that we kind of rolled out, and it's kind of getting ready to go to go live. Um, and then this other one that we that we just came out with last session uh, is, has to do with um, how CPRA is allowed to actually um, pay contractors back. And so we've we've gotten the flexibility 
uh, in certain cases, to, to pay out over a much longer period of time uh, when we tie it to um, performance metrics that the contractor is going to have to meet. So instead of paying up front for 100 acres of marsh at a, at a fixed cost, we can pay over the years to make sure that we're getting all 100 acres um, as, as, as time goes on and as we can still see that those, those projects, uh, you know, meet the test, um, then, then when the payments come out. And when you do that, it creates an opportunity um, to engage different kinds of investors uh, as well, um, kind of built into that. And Charles makes a really important point. They have been rolling out several features at CPRA, but some of it does require legislation. And so um, this is just the first step, really, of, of, of a, what we think is a multi-step process to try to um, implement like programmatic funding. And we know that some of this will require legislative policy changes uh, on the state level, maybe even the federal level. And so um, we want to know what's on the table. We want everybody to put their cards on the table um, of what options are out there. And then then if there's a legislative fix that's needed or, or something different, we can make that push to do that. And so uh, we do think, like I said, it's it's um, multi-pronged. Well, what are piece. the next steps after this? And yep. then if you, you know, you're an economist, you're you know an accounting yep. firm, whatever, that wants to sure. get involved, where can you go to learn more? So, um, so f- uh, from today's informational session, we are building a list of frequently asked questions. Um, and then we're also, as I mentioned, we're going to ha- have those presentations posted online. Uh, we are using Restore Retreat website, which is restoreorretreat.org uh, slash coastal-finance. And we are that's kind of the one-stop shop that we're putting everything. Uh, we have our initial announcement. We have a quick link to the SIQs. Uh, Charles wrote an amazing blog for us. Write that down. We need to talk to him about that. Um, and then we're putting all that information on that one website. Um, and then people can still email and ask us questions, but the SIQs are due September 1st. First. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we talk about the master plan being publicly informed, right? And that there's a process where people can give input um, on the projects. And, you know, this seems sort of similar, right? You're going out and asking for expertise from, from you know, people out in the field who this yeah. is their field. and, and um, Yeah, it's been so interesting because Charles mentioned this earlier. This is a whole different set of people. We are used to seeing the same faces, uh, a lot of the same faces in, on the um, science and engineering construction side. But this brings in a whole new group of people that are interested and invested. You know, they want to know uh, Louisiana's future and, and they want to be part of its success. So I hope Charles will hang on one more one more segment Charles please sure uh, if you hang on we'll talk about that blog you wrote uh, and and just finish out the discussion on this issue and talk about a few things coming up so you're listening to Delta dispatches on WGSO 990 a.m please hold on Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. 
National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. NWF.org slash Louisiana. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join Join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. I was just filling Simone in on the uh, really intense process that is auditions for the 610 yeah. Stomper. I would have so quit. <laughs> Actually, I probably would have quit when they told me I had to be there at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning. So At Harris. It was interesting, but it was a lot of fun. Um, that was I the first them. round last weekend. So fun. And yeah. they raise a ton of money for charity, so it's a great organization. That's um, so New Orleans, yeah. right? To have yeah. a, a men's. <laughs> I, I love them. They're great. So anyway, enough about enough about me and my my stomper. Weekend, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Charles, welcome back to the show. <laughs> nice transition. Yeah. <laughs> welcome back, Charles. Why don't you tell us? Um, I um, very sweetly asked you to write a blog for us, and you very sweetly said you would. So, why don't you tell us about the blog that you wrote? Uh, well, I just wanted to kind of lay out the 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 why kind of behind this this project that we're kind of so yeah it was, it was a little bit of an advertisement we do want to get the word out about this 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 finance project that we're working on but it was also just kind of putting putting um, this financial piece in context with the land loss crisis a little bit just kind of saying that um, uh, just kind of and, and kind of shine a light on the, some of the complex questions that are kind of out there that CPR is grappling with like. Um, you know, making sure that the the project timelines that we kind of know about line up with the the cash flow, with the all these things, kind of behind the scenes things that people might not think about when they think about this restoration effort that is implementing the master plan. Right, and you can go to our website MississippiRiverDelta.org to read Charles's blog. And Charles, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I think you painted the financial picture in a way that's really understandable. And and um, one of the things that I thought. Uh, was really powerful that you highlighted was, you know, the talking about shifting from a reliance on disaster-related funding toward a more proactive long-term funding approach. So can you kind of talk a little bit about what that means and why that shift is important? So we'll play a drinking game for every time we talk about resilience, right, uh, Charles? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, so I think, you know, the CPRA has done done great things with the, the funds that have become available to it. But I think, you know, and I think anybody recognizes that, you know, going from disaster to disaster and waiting for a check to come after the fact is, is the hard way to do it. It's painful, it's not sustainable, and it's not a good way to build build resilience. So uh, I think the goal at the end of the day, you know, and this is like a long-term effort, there's not one single silver bullet to, to get us there, but the goal at the end of the day is to have reliable funding year to year so it's predictable, you know what you're going to get, you can, you can use it to, to plan around it, but it's also enough to kind of meet the long-term needs of the state because we're not going to be... Um, you know, protecting and restoring the coast just for the 50 years of the master plan. This is kind of this is where Louisiana is on the map. This is going to be something that we're going to deal with for as, as long as we're, we want to be here. And so this, uh, I think we all need to kind of start thinking about how we pay for it in those kinds of really long-term terms. 
Yeah, my favorite part was you said the only thing worse than the Deepwater Horizon oil spill would be failing to make the most out of the revenues it has provided. And I think that's really powerful. And and we do want to make use of that one-time funding opportunity, but Charles has the vision to think about that long-term future and what it looks like. And I'm teasing about resilience, but I, I think that's something that we definitely have in common and it's something that you're very interested in and good at. So all kidding aside, what is what does resilience mean to you? Ooh, that's one of those hard questions. It means a lot of different things. You should have asked me to think about that beforehand. So I would say today's answer, I think it is, uh, I'm, I'm constantly learning and, and meeting really smart people that are working on this from a bunch of different angles. But I think it's, it's not just about um, standing right back up after a disaster, but it's the ability to um, stand up in a new way if, if that it makes more sense. So being able to um, kind of evolve as you respond and, and, and to be to be there in the long term, but but recognizing that you might have to look a little different as you do that, but kind of being open to that and and um, uh, just have the capacity to to change as you as you move move ahead. That's a that's a good answer. Yeah, I mean, an answer. important lesson for all of us, you know, in terms of we're not immune to disasters clearly, and and what can we learn from them? What can we do to make ourselves more safe, more protected, stronger um, after the fact. So, Charles, I know um, 2017 has been a, a very big year for CPRA. You all released and, you know, unanimously passed through the legislature your master plan. Um, I also know there's a lot of projects that are ongoing from Whiskey Island, Bayou Bonfuca. So what does the, the rest of the year look like for um, CPRA and, and what is your focus really going into 2018? Well, I mean, there are, like you said, there are just a lot of big things. I think, um, you know, the 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 headline version of it is is you know using the money that we have available in the best most impactful way. Um, I think that's going to be key to whether you're talking about long-term financing or proving to the people that are already giving you money that 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 you're that you're a good investment. So I think getting a you know getting one of these diversions um, permitted and, and eventually built is going to be just a game changer. Um, someone mentioned the Common Auto project that was so big. We want to keep rolling out big projects like that. Uh, but there are a lot of uh, big policy things that we have to figure out um, this year, next year. Um, Pot 2 of the Restore Act is still kind of up, up for grabs. You know, the state of Louisiana has to compete for that money. at the $1.4 billion or so is left, and we want to um, figure that out so that we, we, we um, get as, as much as, as we can of that money because we want to put it towards these master plan projects. Um, so that's a big thing. And, and as you mentioned, these two funding pieces, um, the, both the immediate term, you know, bonding question um, that Simone and I are working on, and then this also kind of start using this time where we have money coming in this next 10 years to kind of really start to think hard about what the long-term revenue um, options are for when that oil spill money runs out. So I think that's that's a lot to work on. There's that's probably enough. Half a dozen yeah. <laughs> I can't can imagine what your to-do list looks like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on, Charles, today. Uh, thank you for spending so much time with me on on this issue. I am so grateful that you are my partner in crime on this. I'm very, very excited to work with you from a restore retreat standpoint, but also personally. I think this is, uh, and personally think this is an important step for us to take. So, uh, again, we thank you for being on a couple of segments with us. We always, Jack and I always lament that there's never enough time with our guests, and so we are glad that we got some good quality time with you. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Charles. And of course, you're welcome back anytime. And as you know, this uh, process moves forward with Restore Retreat and CPRA, we'd love to hear more about it, hear about 
you know, sort of the parties that you're engaging with and what you're learning throughout the process. Yeah, we'll keep you posted. So thank you, Charles. I'll call you first thing in the morning, like usual. All right, you guys keep up the good work, too. (laughs) Thank you. All right, bye-bye. So what we got next? So next week, we are talking all about sediment, right? Sediment. Sediment. I was going to say sediment Saturday, but I guess sediment (laughs) Thursday doesn't really work. Um, But we're going to have on some um, really great guests. One is a repeat, um, Dr. Alex Kolker with Lumcon and Tulane. I wonder wonder if the pup's running for mayor still. Dupree, yeah. Dupree. I talked to him today. He said Dupree. I don't know. He said Dupree's having a little tough tough, tough time with the heat, like a lot of our dogs are. So, but yeah. I I thought you were going to say he didn't file like tax returns or something. I don't know. I don't know if he got his like, (laughs) uh, yeah, his qualifications in order. But yeah, so, um, you know, uh, Dr. Kolker, Alex, and a team of uh, Tulane researchers came out with a recent study I'm looking at Cubit's Gap, which is in the Bird's Foot Delta. you're going out there, right? Yeah, I'm going out next week with them and some uh, folks in the media. We're going to tour it. Um, For those of you who may not know. where is that? Yeah. Yeah, it's in the Bird's Foot Delta, uh, very far south along the Mississippi River in Plaquemines Parish. Um, It was actually um, a ditch that was dug by an oysterman and his daughters in the 1860s because they wanted to easier. My dad didn't do that to me and my sisters. Have easier access to the boat. Well, as the Mississippi River does, it it kind of flooded and and opened up a wide crevasse. Was he Mr. Cubit? Uh, His name was Cubit. Ah. Um, And, uh, you know, the crevasse actually ended up building the Delta National Delta Wildlife Refuge. So I think by, you know, 75 years that it built, you know, 100 square miles of land or something like that. Cool but story. 150 years later, they're still looking at the Cubits Gap and understanding what can we learn from it in terms of how the Mississippi River can build land, particularly with some of the sediment diversions that are coming up. So we're going to go out there, do a tour, check it out, and then Alex is going to come on the show so and talk about it. So next week, you have the exciting week. I do. Like, I guess we're, we're trading off. And then we're also going to have Jim Robbins, who is a, an environmental journalist. He recently did a story for Yale 360 about... Um, why sediment in the world's rivers is important and the fact that we may not, you know, we're losing sediment in our rivers and, and why that's a uh, significant challenge, not just here in Louisiana, but around the world. So cool. it'll be good to get that perspective. Yeah. yeah. So um, big plans on Saturday. Big plans on Saturday. If you want to come on down to Harris uh, and see me make a fool of myself, but also support, support a really good cause. Um, it's Saturday at Harris. I think the doors open at noon. Cool. Six ten stompers edition. Eclipse. Any plans for the eclipse? I don't have my glasses yet. Do you? No. I don't know. You're not supposed I, to look no, at it, I, yeah. right? And okay. I'm certainly not making no box to do that. Yeah. So, but I saw this cool thing about other effects, like high tides and yeah. the darkness confuses the animals. Real God. cool. So. It's gonna be a little. We'll, we'll hope we'll be back next yeah, right. week. <laughs> anyway, you, this was a great episode. Thank yes, you, Simone. Thank you um, to Charles Sutcliffe. Um, and you are listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. We'll talk to you next week. Next week.